Go ahead and be turning in your Bibles or your phones or your iPads to Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to start there in verse 9 in just a moment. I've been looking forward to this time for a number of weeks, if not months, and it's a pleasure to be here. I did have a little bit of adventure. You ever been in a plane that's being de-iced? The plane that came into DFW that I would get onto to come to Abilene had picked up some ice along the way, and so they had us out on the tarmac, and they sprayed the entire... It's not a big plane. It's, you know, in fact, I think I own cars bigger than this plane was that I was on. But um, it looks like you're in a car wash. It's just all this soapy stuff kind of coming ar- around the fuselage. But, so that was a little bit of an experience, but, but for the most part, uneventful. And that's the kind of trip we want to have on a plane. Glad to be here tonight. Thank you uh, for the kind invitation uh, to have me for this weekend. I'm really looking forward to also being with many more of you uh, tomorrow. And so I hope to see uh, all of you here tonight, tomorrow, and bring somebody uh, with you if you can. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus meets a fellow by the name of Matthew. He would be the one that will become the author of that very first gospel. And he says to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew does. In fact, it seems that Matthew is so excited about becoming a follower of Jesus Christ that he wants to host a dinner for Jesus dare say, a banquet. Problem being, the only people he really knows are other tax collectors, those dreaded individuals that are synonymous in most people's eyes with your ragamuffin kind of sinners, tax collectors and sinners. And they would say it in a way that was almost redundant. Tax collectors and sinners. And that's the only kind of people he knows. And that's who he invites to be a part of this dinner banquet. And there is Jesus and his disciples, more tax collectors. And the Bible says there are the Jews there. And they are looking at this scene with scrutinizing eyes. And they don't like what they see. And they come and they complain about Jesus. I mean, Jesus is eating with the wrong kind of ilk. So they go to the disciples and ask, why does your master spend his time sitting down at a dinner table with the likes of Matthew and other tax collectors? Jesus hears that question, really a complaint. And he doesn't leave that to the disciples to answer. He answers this himself. And you know it's the classic answer. We've heard it all of our lives. It's not the healthy people who need a physician. It's the sick people. And he'll go on to say, I didn't come to call the righteous or those people who think they are righteous. I've come to call sinners. But he makes a statement, and it's the theme of our subject tonight, where Jesus says... I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now hang on to that. And I want you to even think just for a few minutes along the way to yourself, what do you think Jesus means when he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice? 
you go a few more chapters into Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is with his disciples, and they have passed through a man, or at least alongside of a man's grain field. And the disciples reach up and take some of the, the stalk and the grain, and they rub it between their hands. And you've heard this explained in Bible classes, I'm sure. They'll take that grain and rub it, and it separates the grain so that they can pop the grain into their mouth for a snack. We, we call it bran today, but that's kind of what it was. And they're taking a snack. This time, it's the Pharisees who are watching. And they are deeply offended. Righteous indignation just crawls all over them. They are offended by what they have seen the disciples do. Now, a couple of things here. The main problem with what they did, if you look in the Scripture, it was the Sabbath day. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 25 lets us know there's not a thing wrong with what they have done. In fact, the scriptures allow that when you go through a man's field, you can reach and take a little bit of what he's growing and use it for a snack. They're not harvesting the whole field. They're not even harvesting a section. They're just getting enough for a little bit of a snack, and the scripture allows for that. Second of all, the reason the Pharisees are offended is not because of anything that was written in the law of Moses. In fact, there's nothing. There is absolutely nothing in the law of Moses that would forbid them to take a little bit of a snack on the Sabbath day. Nothing. Moses didn't say anything about that. But the reason that they are so offended is because there's another collection of laws that God had nothing to do with and it's the oral tra traditions that were passed down from one generation to the next to the next called the Mishnah. These, these are the oral traditions that are kind of loosely based on the law of Moses, but they filled in the gaps. They read it between the lines a lot. And that's where they're offended is because their traditions that say you can't do any work on the Sabbath day and that oral tradition, the fact that they plucked the grain meant that they were reaping on the Sabbath day, that they kind of rubbed it between their hands meant that they were threshing on the Sabbath day. That's how ridiculous some of these oral traditions had become. And it says that they grumbled, my translation says. Now, in Matthew 9... They complained about Jesus to the disciples. This time, they complained to Jesus about his disciples. And Jesus is going to handle this too. Jesus says, surely you must have read your Bible. Now, I'm, I'm paraphrasing there, but do you see his response? Surely you've read the scriptures. Now, that I don't know about Chris here. But nothing irritates me as a preacher than for my wife to say, well, you know what the Bible says, don't you? Nobody, nobody likes to have the scriptures quoted back at them. Well, surely you've read the, the Bible. You've read the scriptures. Those are fighting words to these Pharisees. 
And he gives two examples. He says, don't you remember in the days of Abiathar when David and his men went in and ate the showbread that was reserved for the priests? You remember that instant? And it seems, Jesus implies, that David did that with impunity. Why was he allowed to take the showbread that was only allowed for the priests? Because there was a need. It was the hunger of David and his men that permitted and allowed that to happen. And Jesus, by way of that example, says, my disciples can take this grain even on the Sabbath day because there is a need. But not only that, he says, haven't you also read how the priests perform their duties or maybe do their work in the temple on the Sabbath day? The priests are working on the Sabbath day. Now, if any other ordinary man did that on the Sabbath day, they would be condemned. But the priests are allowed to do that because that is their job, because of who they are. And Jesus says, something greater than the temple is here. And you know that what he really means is someone greater than the temple is here. Jesus says, I am greater than David, and I am greater than the temple. And my disciples are innocent of all of your accusations because they are my disciples. So here's the background to all of this. You see, the Pharisees and the Jews loved the law of Moses. I think the case could be made that they loved the law of Moses perhaps more than they loved the God of heaven who gave that law. Because they did everything in their might to be obedient to the law. And if the law said sacrifice, they performed every single sacrifice that was commanded. And if the law said to fast, they performed every fast and more so that might be commanded. And anything that the law would tell them to do, they tried to be obedient to that. And if it said don't work on the Sabbath day, they wouldn't lift a finger if it was the Sabbath day. But in their due diligence to be obedient to the law of God, they made a mistake. They forgot about people. And that there are inconvenient times that people have need. We don't have time tonight. I wish I could take you to the time that Jesus healed the man of the withered hand on the Sabbath day. And there are those same scrutinizing eyes praying, hoping, wishing that he will heal on the Sabbath day so that they can accuse him of something else. People have needs. And it's very seldom at times that it's convenient for you. But they had forgotten about people. Even the Old Testament prophet Micah reminded God and all reminded God's people what is ultimately most important. What does the Lord require of you to act justly? Now they did that perfectly. At least in their mind they tried to do it perfectly. They tried to act 
righteously. They try to do what is right, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly. Now, they were all about the first part, but they didn't even, there was no pretense that they tried to be merciful or humble. I could take you to passages in Isaiah and Jeremiah, even Ezekiel, where they would say to God's people, you do well to offer sacrifices. You fast like you should. You do a lot of other things according to the law. But what about the fatherless? Do you have a heart for them? What about the widows? What about those who are oppressed by others? Do you have any concern at all for them? Or is your only concern about doing what the law says? Now, listen, hear me. I'm all about doing what God's Word commands us to do. And I think that the relationship that every one of us has with God very much is dependent upon our willingness and desire to be obedient and holy before God. But remember what Jesus said. He said it in Matthew 9. I didn't point it out, but he said it in Matthew 12 also. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It is important, folks, for us to be obedient to the Word of God. But it is equally important. And in fact, I would say you're not really obedient to the Word of God unless you are also deeply concerned about the needs of other people. The Jews were card-carrying law keepers. They just weren't merciful. Now, how would you measure mercy? Or maybe I would say it this way. How would you define mercy? Now, you might say, well, it's to show kindness to other people. It's to offer goodwill to those who are hurting and suffering or those that are in misery. It's helping people when they are in affliction. And I would agree with all of that. And every single one of us in this audience remembers that old classic story in Luke chapter 10 about the Samaritan and how the, the card-carrying law keepers, the, priest, the, priest, the priest and the Levite, could see a person that has been beaten and robbed and left for dead right there laying on the road, and they could pass by on the other side and they could do it with a clean conscience because they were not breaking any laws. They were still righteous to pass by on the other side. And Jesus is having this conversation with an expert in the law who's there trying to trap Jesus. And so he tells this story, and then he interjects a Samaritan into the story who stops and helps the man and, and treats his wounds, puts him up on his animal, takes him into an inn where he can recuperate from his wounds. And Jesus asks that expert in the law, which one was a neighbor to the one who was wounded, to the man on the road? And you remember his answer? 
the one who showed mercy. The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, that's exactly right. Now you go and do likewise. You go and show the same kind of mercy to others that that Samaritan man showed to the wounded man. Mercy is one of those things that you can't have unless you are willing to show it. Now, I can tell by your expressions, I didn't say anything that you think is important, but I did. Mercy is one of those qualities that all of us want to have, and we want it given to us. Mercy is one of those things that you can't have unless you are willing to share it. Isn't that what Jesus said in the Beatitudes when he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If you want mercy from God, you have to be willing to offer mercy to others. Now, I know that I am among some people here tonight that are very interested in being the right kind of people before God. And I know that you're trying to do the right things. And when we worship together tomorrow, many of the things that we do and many of the things that we don't do in worship to God is because we are trying to do what is right. We're trying to be obedient to the Word of God. And that's, that's absolutely right to do. And so when we come together and we worship and we praise and we lift high the holy name of God, when we commune around the table on the first day of every week as we should, God would also say, everything you've done in worship to me is pleasing and it has my approval. But when you leave this place, I also want you to go out and show mercy. You see... The relationship that you have with God doesn't just stop in this place. It is carried out, and your relationship with God is now shared with other people as you show them mercy. So I want to share three things by way we can measure our mercy. And I'm going to start with the easiest, and it's going to get exponentially harder as we go along. So I'm going to start with the very easiest thing, and we'll end with the most difficult. But the first way that you can measure your mercy in your heart is by the way that you respond to those who are victims of misfortune. Those who have affliction in their life. Again, you go back to Matthew chapter 9. It's the place where we started in this lesson. And Jesus is walking along in verse 27. And there are two blind men. If you read Mark's gospel, you know that one of those blind men is named Bartimaeus. But there are two blind men, and they're following Jesus, and they're shouting out to Jesus, Have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us. Now, there are others that are trying to get those men to be quiet and to leave Jesus alone. Jesus goes into a house, and those men follow him into that house. Have mercy on us son of David. And he did. He stopped and he recognized them. And the Bible says he touched their eyes and they were able to see again. But here's what he said to them first. 
He says, do you believe I can make you well? And they said, yes, we believe. And then Jesus showed to them exactly what they asked for. Mercy. Mercy. You see, all during the earthly ministry of Jesus, he went about showing mercy. And if there were people who couldn't see, he would allow them to see again. If there were those that had weak legs and they couldn't walk, he would cure them of that lameness and they could walk. There were times when people had lost someone dear and close to them, and he would raise their loved one from the dead. What was he doing? Now, the Bible says he went about doing good, and that's appropriate to say it that way, but you would do no violation to the Word of God if you said he went about showing mercy. I think that this is a church, as most churches are, that are good about showing mercy. There are times when a disaster hits a certain area of our country, maybe by way of tornado or floods like happened in Houston not long ago. Maybe it's an earthquake somewhere in the country or somewhere in the world. And I'm sure that this congregation is very much like the congregation that I'm from in Searcy. We try to respond to the hurts and the circumstances that people find themselves in. And we will begin immediately collecting water People will go to Walmart, and they'll buy water by the hundreds and hundreds of dollars, and they'll bring it to the church building where it will eventually be loaded on a truck, and it was taken down to Houston. We'll collect all kinds of other supplies. And at some point, we even take up a, a monetary collection that we would send down to a congregation and a contact that we would have, either in Houston or some other place, and we would make sure that there were some finances to go and to meet the needs of people who because of a tornado or an earthquake or a flood, their house and their lives have been ravaged. We also have a benevolence program. It's called His House. And we serve hundreds of people every month with food and clothing and to help them with some of their bills. Now, does everyone really need our help? No. But many of them do. Many of them find themselves in just a very difficult place in life. Maybe they've lost their job. Maybe the breadwinner of their home is very ill and can't work. But there are some legitimate reasons that people find themselves in some really hard situations and they need some help. And... Our congregation, I'm sure like this congregation, will respond with merciful hearts. It might even be in a Bible class, or it may be in your visit, visiting others. But you'll hear about someone who is ill and at home, or in the hospital, or maybe it's a shut-in, or maybe they're in rehab. And you, you just instinctively know, I need to go and check on them. I need to go and make a visit or a phone call. I need to go to the hospital. A lot of times, a Bible class will mention a need, and someone in that class will say, well, what can we do to help this family that we're talking about? And they'll pass around a sign-up sheet. Maybe it's for food. Maybe it's for someone to sit with a loved one. 
Whatever their need is, they'll pass around a sign-up sheet. And it won't take very long. That'll get all filled out. And that Bible class will meet the need of that family that's just going through a really difficult time. And all, all of those are really good, excellent things. And the only thing I would tell you to do in that is kind of like what Paul said in the uh, Thessalonian letter. I don't have any need to tell you to love one another. All I'm going to say to you is excel still more. Just do it more and more. I'm not going to tell this church that you need to be benevolent and merciful in helping in the needs of people. All I would say is, can you do it a little bit more? Can we as a people of God, can we do it a little bit better? Can we excel in that? Now, I don't think that's altogether the best definition of being merciful. Because I can look out in the world. I can see people who don't even have a relationship with God. And they will also do acts of kindness for other people. Or they'll help someone or give them a hand up. And they'll give them a hand out. And they'll help them out even though they don't try to be obedient to God in many other ways. But it's still a good way to show your mercy. But then there is a second thing that I would say, and this is a little more difficult. It's by the way that you judge other people, and we all do it. Don't, don't even pretend that you're not one of those who judges other people. It's something that is impossible for us not to do. But when you judge, and you will, can you do it with mercy? Every one of you is familiar with the words of Matthew chapter 7, the first five verses. Do not judge, or you will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. Now, he, 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 he did say in verse 1, don't judge. But then he turns around and says, but when you do judge, and you're going to, you're going to be judged with the same measure that you use. And then he gives this illustration. Why do you say to your brother, hey, listen, you've got a speck in your eye, all the while you have a plank coming out of your eye. You hypocrite, Jesus says. First, take the plank, the two-by-four, out of your own eye, and then you will see more clearly how to take the speck from your brother's eye. Now, the problem with the Jews and the problem with the Pharisees when they saw Jesus and his disciples doing something they didn't like, they were quick to judge. They were quick to condemn and to criticize and to denounce, never even trying to get the other side of the story or the rest of the story. All they knew is someone did something they didn't personally like and they, they had the right to criticize them. It's one of the reasons I don't use my Twitter account anymore. I have one, but I haven't really done anything with it for months and months because I got tired of it. I'd get on Twitter and I'd see what people are writing and I would see what members of the church are writing. And I got tired of how many people think because they have a Twitter account or something else or a Facebook account that that is, a, that, that, that is an inalienable right for them to criticize everything imaginable. 
They'll criticize a sports team. They'll criticize a, a school. They'll criticize a government leader. They'll criticize their next door neighbor. They'll criticize someone at Walmart. They don't even know, but they saw this person do something. And for some reason, we just feel emboldened to criticize everything because we have people who read what we think. And so I gave all that up because I don't see much mercy on Twitter and, and those others. And Jesus is not saying that we should never judge anyone. I can't go through a day of my life without making some judgment call about others. Because people are always asking me to do something. People are always asking me to help them with something. And I have to make a judgment call. People will walk into the church building and they'll ask for help. And sometimes we have to make a judgment, judgment call whether helping them is the right thing to do or if it just will continue a lifestyle that they've grown accustomed to. We, have to make, we may have to make judgment calls all the time. But can you do it with mercy? Because in John chapter 8, there's a woman. She's called the adulterous woman because she was caught in the act. She was as guilty as she could possibly be. She was dragged through the streets of Jerusalem. She was thrown down in front of Jesus, and all of these lawgivers begin to remind Jesus what Moses said should happen to this woman who was caught committing adultery. And you know the story how he stooped down and wrote something in the dirt. And then he began to say to them, Whichever one of you is without sin, you throw the first stone. You, you make the first accusation against her. And one by one, from the oldest down to the youngest, they began to walk away until it was just Jesus and this woman. And he says, where are your accusers? They've all left. And Jesus says, then I will not condemn you either. And then Jesus does something that sometimes we forget he does. He judges the woman. He says, go and sin no more. He judged her. He said, you're a sinner. Stop sinning. But he did it with mercy. I don't condemn you either. And that's what God is asking when we have to make a judgment call on someone. And Chris has to do that. I have to do that all the time because there are times we have to go visit with someone about their sin. Or we have to go and talk to someone about a problem that's going on in their life, that if they don't take care of this problem, it's going to get worse. We have to make a judgment call. But when we go and we talk to them, we do it with mercy. It happens all the time. I got out of the airport, got into my rental car. God bless Abilene's airport. When I get out of that one gate that you have, in about four minutes' time, and I'm not exaggerating, Four minutes' time, I had my rental car keys, and I was walking out of the airport. This ain't DFW. I'm telling you, it takes a long time to get your car in DFW. And I'm listening to my GPS and the instructions, and she's telling me to, in a quarter of a mile, do this. And, do, and finally, it says, take a hard left onto Clack Street, where that U-turn is. So I take the big U-turn, I get on Clack Street, 
and I'm going down the road, and I know I'm just a few miles away from the hotel now, and all of a sudden, there's a fellow in that far left lane that I think wants to get in this far right lane, and he begins to cut across, and he cuts right in front of somebody, and the person that got cut off hits the horn. But they don't just hit the horn to say, hey, listen, I'm here. They hit the horn. They get in the lane right behind the guy, and they ride that horn for about a quarter of a mile, just blowing the horn the whole way until the guy finally turns off into a parking lot. I wished I could tell you I have never done that. I can tell you I haven't done it recently, but I've done that. In fact, sometimes I've been the person that has cut people off rather rudely. And when I get cut off in traffic, sometimes I'll respond, what an idiot. I'll use names. Sometimes I did that when my kids were riding in the back seat. That was the example I would give to them. Where'd they get their driver's license? Their Cracker Jack's box? And I begin to insult and I begin to make accusations, and I denounce the driving behavior of that person behind the wheel, and the truth is, I don't really know at all what caused them to do what they did. Maybe they honestly didn't see me. But that didn't matter. I was offended. And therefore, I get to ride the horn, and I get to yell out the window because they did something against me. Or maybe you're in a store. And I was in a store not very long ago, and the person that I was trying to get some help in the electronics department, and no one would help me. And finally, I got someone's attention, and they said, what? And I said, well, I'm, I'm looking for an MP3 speaker. And I was looking at all these, and I couldn't find the one I was looking for. Okay, let's see. And... and this lady began to lead me through the, the, the store, and she thought they had some over here, and then she went over here, and, and the whole way, you could tell, she was just beside herself having to help me. And I followed around. Finally, they didn't have what I was looking for, and I thanked her for, for, for all the, her, of her help and all. Has that ever happened to you? Has ever, someone just ever kind of out of sorts and, and a little bit hostile and rude to you? But can you show mercy by just slowing down and saying, surely this is not the way they always act. Maybe something's happened that's just really causing them to have an extra hard day. Or maybe they just got chewed out by a customer and they're kind of still licking their wounds from, from that incident and then here I come along and I, I need help and I need help right now. Because whenever someone hurts your widow feelings or is a little bit rude to you, I can almost promise you there's another side of the story. And every single one of us in this auditorium tonight, we have all had bad days and we have all spoken to people in bad ways. 
So take the plank out of your eye before you start picking out the speck in other people's eyes. We've, we've all been guilty, so can we show a little bit of patience and a little bit of mercy? And maybe it's at your place of work where someone does something that they shouldn't have done. They should have known better, but they didn't. And you can come in with both hands on the hip and say, well, everybody knows you don't do that. Or you can slow down and show some mercy and say, listen, it's not the end of the world. Truth be known, I did the same thing when I started to work here. Can you show some kindness and some mercy and not be so quick to judge, condemn, and to denounce? And what about at church? Because if there's ever a place sometimes that we need to show more mercy, it might be right here in church. When a visitor sits in our pew. Or when the song leader sings a song we don't know. Or it's a little slower than we like to sing. Or the preacher steps on our toes a little harder than normal. Because it needs to be. Or someone cuts us off in the hallway when we're trying to get to our classroom. And and I'll be honest with you. About two months ago, I showed very little mercy because I was in a hurry to get out of a Bible class. And I needed to get down to my office, grab something to get ready for our second worship assembly. And I was in a hurry. And I was in a big hurry. And I don't know why it is that Christians have to do the majority of their talking in the, under the door frame. But they stopped right there. And I'm like, really? This, this is where you sh- decided to do your conversation right here? And what was, I, what was I doing? I was denouncing them. I made sure everybody in the classroom knew that I was upset that they stopped right there and kept me from going where I needed to go. And sometimes when we're with God's people, it is so easy to forget to act justly, to love mercy, and to be more humble before God. And then real quickly, and here's the most difficult one of all, all, by the way we are willing to forgive other people. Now, I'm not going to say a whole lot about forgiveness tonight because we're going to talk about it more tomorrow. But I do want to say this. It is impossible to be merciful and to carry a grudge against another person. And there are some people, even some Christians, who have carried hard feelings and they've carried a grudge, and they have carried an unforgiving spirit against another person for a year, for five years, for ten years or more. You cannot have mercy in your heart at the same time that you carry a grudge against someone else. There's not enough room for both. And mercy is a prerequisite to giving forgiveness. Now, not just generic forgiveness. You know, you you get bumped in the hallway and, oh, excuse me, oh, that's all right, you're forgiven. I'm talking about real forgiveness. When someone hurts you deeply, 
or hurts some member of your family deeply. And it is everything that you have to forgive them. I could tell you about a story right now of a father who is negligent against his son, abusive toward his son. All the years that his son was growing up, his father was angry and mean and abusive and neglectful. But now his father has grown older and he's feeling the weight of his own loneliness. And now he's come back to his son and he's asked for forgiveness. It's not easy for that son to forgive. What should he do, though? Or maybe it's a wife whose husband has been unfaithful. And I can't think of of a hurt that would hurt me more deeply than for my spouse to be unfaithful to me. And yet he comes and asks his wife for forgiveness. What is she going to do? Or maybe it's a person who gets behind the wheel of a car and he or she has been drinking. And they get out on the road and there's an accident. And a mother and father receive the phone call that their son has been injured in that accident and he's in the hospital and he's in critical condition. And somewhere along the way, the driver of that car comes to these parents and begs for their forgiveness. What should they do? What you should do depends on how much mercy is in your heart. What you will do depends on how much mercy is in your heart. In Matthew 18, you know the story. Jesus is trying to uh, speak about the relationships that we have with God, especially when others offend you. And it's Peter that says, well, well, Lord, when someone offends me and sins against me, how many times should I forgive them? Seven? And I promise you, Peter must have thought that was a magnanimous number. And I, I think I would feel the same way because I'm not sure I've had to forgive many people in my life more than seven times. Seven? And Jesus says, no, not seven. Seventy times seven.
batteries in before I preach. When you take a fruit and you begin to put pressure on it and you squeeze it, whatever comes out is what kind of fruit it is. If it's apple, if it's orange, if it's cranberry, apple, orange, what you know, those drinks. Jesus says you'll know a person by their fruit. And every one of us, when we get pressured and we get in a difficult circumstance, we're going to find out what's inside of every one of us. And when you are confronted with someone who has a need and they're going through a difficult time in life and maybe they're ill or maybe they've lost someone or maybe their house is burned down, you can think of a thousand scenarios. And, and when the time comes that you are pressured to help, we're going to find out what's inside of you because it, it, it's good, it will come out. And either mercy will come out or a heart that will not show compassion is what's going to be revealed. Or maybe when someone offends you or they do something that, that you don't like or they make some kind of mistake in your home or at your place of work and when you're really under the gun and, and there's a lot of pressure on you, we're going to find out how you respond based on what is inside of your heart. And where it really, truly shows is when someone hurts us greatly. That's when the pressure is on. That's when we feel the pressure the most. And how we respond is going to be dependent on what is inside of our heart. And Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. There may be someone here tonight that would like to respond. Maybe you need the prayers of a godly church like this and spiritual people like this. Or maybe you'd like to respond to God by faith and repentance to put him on in baptism. But you may be thinking, if I respond, how are these people going to think? How are they going to respond to me? How are they going to treat me? I'll tell you how they will treat you. They will treat you with mercy. They will treat you better than you deserve because that's how God has treated every one of them, better than they deserve. And if there is any need that anyone has in this audience tonight, I promise you that if you come, not only will our God show you kindness and mercy, every person here will do the same. So don't let that stop you. If you need help tonight, please come while we stand and we sing this song. Love one another for love is of God. He who loves is born of God and loves God. He who does not love